Well, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. If you're a guest uh, with us this morning, we want to welcome you here. We're glad you're here. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Cole, and I'm one of the pastors here. And you've probably heard it a a thousand weeks at this point, Um, but I'll tell you again, because it's good to be reminded of things, um, that uh, here at Central, we're about transformation. Uh, We're about transformation of our lives and the world around us through the renewing power of Jesus. And uh, together we are on that pro- in that process and we're working in that together. And so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be with you. I get the privilege to share God's word with you this morning and to begin our new series uh, on Hebrews 11. Throughout the summer, we will be walking through the different people mentioned in what is often called the Hall of Faith. Uh, each week we will pick a new person and take a look at their life and how their faith was displayed and everything. Uh, but not this week. Uh, this week we need to set a foundation, uh, a filter to see the rest of the weeks to follow. We need to look at what faith is and what it does according to the writer of Hebrews. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Almighty God, you are the creator of all things and the author of all good things. Lord, as we dwell on your word this morning, Spirit, would you implant it deep within us so that our faith might grow, that our love for you might grow. Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith, and it's to you that we look to to be a light for us in our darkness and that we cling to you as we persevere with great hope. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, when I was younger, this is story time with Cole, by the way. This is every time I preach, it's going to happen. I'm apparently self-absorbed. So, um, but when I was younger, uh, I spent a lot of time in the water. I grew up in a part of Tennessee where basically you would just trip and fall in some sort of body of water. It was, there was so much uh, around there. Um, and it, I spent a lot of time fishing and swimming and the often probably not so wise cliff jumping. Now, before I get into this cliff jumping story, I also want to just put a disclaimer out there. I would not like you to do that. Um, p- please don't. Uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. That's probably the best way to say it. But I did, so you're going to learn from my mistakes. But so, uh, anyways, there was this place uh, that was a rock quarry uh, where I used to go all the time. And it was, it was crystal clear. You could see straight to the bottom. You would see fish swimming around. It was, it was gorgeous. It was like something out of it. It was like Nature Channel or something. Um, it was amazing. And it had all sorts of stuff. It's just beautiful. But one of the things it did have was cliffs. Um, and these cliffs stretch from like, oh, that's adorable to jump off of. That's really sweet to like, absolutely not. Why would you even think about that? 
Um, and that's more or less so talking to my friends about that. So, um, but also, if you, if you don't know me, you, do, you will know me better. Now, I strongly dislike heights. Uh, I was not made to be up high. I, I just don't think so. I, I like the ground. The ground is very comfortable for me. Um, apparently not for the friends I grew up with. So I went cliff jumping with them. Um, and I remember vividly one time we all were lining up to jump off of this, this one that I was not super comfortable with, but, you know, peer pressure. Um, and so we line up and I somehow am first in line, which is just preposterous. And I, they're like, hey, jump. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, no. And so you're going to go first and then I'll watch you make sure you survive and, and then we'll go from there. Uh, and so I did that. Friend steps up to the edge, looks down, counts to three, jumps off. There's this eerie silence and then water splash. He survived. It was great. Uh, we were lots of rejoicing. Um, and they were like, all right, it's your turn now. And I said, not ready yet. Um, and then so by that point, all of the other people went before me and I was the last one. And they're all in the water telling me, jump in, jump in, it's fine. And they're giving me all these instructions. Like when you jump off, make sure you make a pencil because if you don't, it's gonna hurt and, and all these different things. And so finally I step to the edge, I count to three and I jump. And clearly I made it, I'm here, uh, I've survived it. Um, no, that was the silence really got you. Um, but I got out and I was like, wow, I did it, this is amazing. And I don't think that I would have done that if there, wasn't, there weren't people that went before me. Um, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, did, I didn't wanna hurt myself. I saw these guys do it and I thought, well, if they can, I can, and I trust them. Sometimes they were untrustworthy, but I trusted them in this moment to help me through. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I don't hike much, but I think this illustration is, is wonderful, but it's kind of like hiking and you, and you get to this really troublesome place and you think, how in the world am I gonna get through that? And then you have binoculars and you look forward and you, you see beyond that and you see this group that had been walking uh, or who had, who had passed that section before you and you thought, well, okay, somebody made it past here. I don't know how they did it, but somebody did. And all of a sudden you get this kind of gleam of, of, a, of an ice axe or an ice pick and you're like, oh, maybe that's how they got through that. Oh, maybe that's why I have that with me um, because someone else went and did this before me and realized, hey, you're gonna need that to get through. Someone had gone before. Um, you have learned from someone. And so who have you learned from? Uh, who has gone before you? Are there people in your life that have helped you through times that they were really able to help you precisely because they were going through fairly similar things that you are? Um, who, are there people who held on when all seemed lost? Are there people who have exhibited great joy and great hope even in the midst of craziness of life? You know, I've, I've been here for a while now and I've seen this in our church and I've learned a lot from people in this church through varying ages and experiences. I've seen and, and been encouraged by watching parents parent through difficulty and loving through it. I've seen relationships restored, men and women exhibiting incredible faith and in battling cancer and other sicknesses. I've seen people attempt to engage in the middle of polarizing topics, which at this point seems utterly terrifying uh, due to our cultural climate. Uh, and they sought to bring peace in the midst of it. These stories, these things help me. They, they bolster me. They, they give me hope. 
And I think they do that for all of us. So before we go any further, we have to talk about what faith is. Because, the, uh, because Hebrews seeks to give us a working definition to some extent to move forward throughout this chapter. Uh, and it says, faith is the assurance of what's hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. One commentator says that faith for Hebrews is always linked to hope. Faith is looking at God and trusting him for everything. We do this by having hope in, in our now, where we are now, and hope for what's to come. You know, deep faith will produce deep hope. A hope to endure, a hope in our longings. This is assurance and conviction that though the world can seem out of control, our God is not. He is in control, and he always is. Another commentator said that faith is a convictional stance toward life and living, a readiness to face life and deal with circumstances armed with an attitude of trust and a spirit to endure. We see in verse 3 that this faith stems from creation itself. For he is trustworthy and we can be convinced of that for he is the author of life in all things. That when we feel at our most out of control, that when things around me seem out of control, the creator of all things is in control and he always has been. But faith is more than just optimism. Uh, but it's assurance and conviction. It's not like I unfortunately have to tell myself every football season, I hope Tennessee football is good this year. Um, it's a hope. It's not always going to come to fruition. It never really does. And so, um, but it's not also I hope for this thing for my birthday or uh, wouldn't it be nice kind of life. No, it is a life rooted and, and, and grounded in faith and in the trust that the Lord, or in the Lord because he is worthy of that trust. And what he says will happen. Each example you see in the following verses, and as we'll see as weeks go on, is an example of how faith worked in some of the most difficult moments of these people's lives. When things seemed unattainable, unimaginable, and impossible, their faith was the foundation for their enduring. It was not by their own works or their sweet resume or their super good choices, because trust me, look into the life of some of these people that are on this list. They didn't make great choices all the time. Um, but it was their deeply rooted faith and trust in their times of need, where the Lord turned their weakness into strength, their fear transformed into a holy courage, rooted in, in the faith and promises of God, the promises they themselves did not see, yet moved in faith for what was to come. So what did or does faith do in our days? Well, I think faith changes our perspective and to a perspective of hope. Hebrews 11 comes in the middle of an argument that begins in, in, the, in the middle of chapter 10 and stretches almost to the end of the letter. Uh, we're given a clear glimpse of why Jesus is our redeemer. He is the great high priest, the great king, the great prophet. And this is to inform and strengthen our faith that we are not alone and one goes before us. And then we get to the lists of these. But in 1023, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We are called to hold on 
Though this holding on is not, is, or this holding on is coupled with the do not grow weary in doing good. <laughs> we are still do, or called to do what we were called to do. The verse that follows um, give us this uh, description of loving and encouraging one another in the midst of all the hard of our life. We do this by faith. Because our faith, our life together is not just about me and it's not just about you, it's about us. It's a communal faith. It's a lived, it's a lived out in community. In that community is where you will be encouraged and loved. There you will hear of people who have gone before us. Where you will hear of those currently experiencing life's struggles and enduring. And we get the chance to bear each other's burdens. And I think this is why the exhortation to not neglect meeting together in chapter 10 is because we need each other. Uh, we need our stories, our experiences, even our shared experiences, because these strengthen us. They strengthen our faith because we get to see God at work in the midst of it. One of those who have gone before us, um, who I have found really encouraging, is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon was a pastor in the mid to late 1800s in London. Many of you might already know some about him. He's kind of a big deal. But um, his name, <laughs> he was often called Prince of Preachers, which is hard to live up to, I imagine. But he started preaching when he was 19 years old. He preached over um, 3,600 sermons. He preached to over 10 million people, a best-selling author, many of which we read his stuff today. But the thing is, it wasn't, it wasn't his success that resonated with me. It was his struggle. See, Spurgeon battled deeply with depression, among other physical ailments. And in a time where it didn't seem too often that a pastor would mention this, actually it was very rare that a pastor would, he talked about it all the time. He talked about sometimes weeping for no reason. Talked about being sorrowful and not being able to function or even get out of bed. To being so overcome with despair because of the critics or grief because of things out of his control. Feeling like it's just too much to bear. And this is all documented through a career full of sermons. He taught lectures to students at his pastor's college on what it means to battle despair and depression in the ministry. And he, he also uh, told them and taught them how to take care of people who are struggling in as well in their congregations. I, and I, f I found hope in this. Um, I, f I found hope in this because in the throes of my own depression, throughout my life, in the throes of when things seem too heavy, I am able to see a fellow pilgrim and sojourner enduring and encouraging and saying things like, let the unknown tomorrow bring with it what it may. It cannot bring us anything but what God shall bear us through. Spurgeon loved the picture of, of Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, many of you might know the Bunyan, uh, Bunyan story. Uh, he loved the picture of Christian and his companion, Hopeful. Um, the, images, uh, the image he loves is, is the one where Christian is, is, is drowning. There's deep water and he doesn't know what to do and he can't see up from down and the water is just too deep and he's scared and he's panicking. And it's in that moment where his companion, Hopeful, reaches up and grabs him by the arm and assures him saying, fear not, the water may be deep, but I feel the bottom. And Spurgeon says, this is just what Jesus does in our trials. 
He puts his arm around us and he points up and says, fear not, the water may be deep, but the bottom is good. See, Spurgeon, like many others who endure in times of struggle, are like lighthouses in the storms, helping us to steer towards a safe harbor into the arms of the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And it's faith like that that strengthens. So do we endure, do we endure like this? With faith and hope like this? Or do we live in this kind of fight or flight posture? In the fight where we look for someone to blame, someone to destroy, or even baptizing some of the same tools used by the people around us to destroy, demean, and dehumanize? Or do we flee or run away, escaping through coping mechanisms that we know will not bring us hope that we so desperately long for, anywhere from substances to self-righteousness, where we, find, so we start to find hope in our in-groups or shaming the out-groups, or we run to people, places, and things for refuge that will, in fact, not defend us as we want them to, and it will not come out as we like it to. So friends, if the tactics that we use to endure our time here are void of Christ-likeness or a life lived by the fruit of the Spirit, our faith is not in God but in something different, something else. So I plead with you to cling to faith, cling to hope. For the Lord sustains and is in control even when we feel out of control. And by faith we can endure. So faith gives us a perspective of hope uh, the hope that we can endure our now. But it also gives us a hope for longing for what's to come. Each of these examples on this list felt the weight of this. In verses 10 and 13, there is this feeling of being a stranger and a sojourner, a feeling of being in exile, all along, uh, and all along awaiting and longing for a homeland and a city whose designer and builder is God. See, all of the good things of this world are but a taste of what's to come. All of the brokenness and sin will be no more, and we long for this. We live in this holy discontentment that reminds us that things are not the way they were supposed to be, that we were made for more. There are a growing number of people in our churches that feel spiritually homeless because of polarization in our society. They're just tired of fighting. They're tired of figuring out how to be in the same community with people who Seem to, be, seem to not love as much as, as people even outside the church sometimes. There's a longing for a place and a home, a longing for a community where we all can belong and to care and to be there. There is suffering and injustice in our world, and there's a longing for justice to be done. There's sickness and death. There is a virus that just won't quit. And I'm reminded of this all the time when we pass Chick-fil-A. Sounds weird, but I am. Because my kids are always whining that the, uh, that the play place is not open. And they go, Dad, oh, when will COVID be over? <laughs> They're tired. I'm tired. We're all tired. But there's hope for what's to come. And it's in the longings that there is hope. For our God does not leave us in our despair, in our broken places. Uh, for by faith we have hope that his promises are true. And that what is coming is good. There have been many people um, who have come before us since the list that we'll go through this summer. Uh, we just read about Spurgeon, but 
There are many folks who have experienced profound suffering in our world, many Christians who have endured with hope uh, now because they knew how the story ends or knows how the story ends. It's their faith and trust that has held them fast in the midst of it all. Uh, that, that picture of a city built by a God's own hands, that one day all of the troubles will be but a distant past. Howard Thurman, a writer, theologian, and civil rights leader, was the grandson of slaves. And in one of his works, he talks about how he revered his grandmother as she talked about the destructive reality and the blurred future of her childhood as a slave. He says that it was her faith that sustained her and her hope for something more that kept her. Reflecting on this uh, about his mom or his grandma's uh, resilient faith, he says this, that she taught me that the bitter contradictions of life are not final and that hope was built into the fabric of the struggle. And to them, this meant that the intensity of the tragic passage in which they were pilgrims could not be separated from the God in whom their ultimate trust was placed. For this was their secret, and it is this they have transmitted to their children. See, mothers and fathers and grandparents and brothers and sisters in the faith, those who have gone before us, they give us a perspective, a perspective of faith that longs for the tragedies and the sins and the injustice and the brokenness of our world to no longer be. The longings for no more mass shootings, the longing for an end of violence and vitriol in our world, the longing of an end of abuse against the image bearers of God, the longing for all things to be made new and right. So friends, we look with great hope by faith, longing for when our faith will, will be made sight. Let me close with this. In chapter 12, the writer goes on to encourage, uh, as he has done throughout the letter, to remind us how much more we can endure for we have Jesus. It's, as it, it's like the Apostle Paul tells us that we are more, in, more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. And that should not cause us shame or despair or think that we'll never live up to it, but with great hope we cling to Jesus. Um, because it doesn't come from our own strength. It comes by faith. Uh, faith through the Spirit. For we have, we have a Savior who knows. That he has experienced the brokenness of the world and tells us to take heart for I have overcome it. In chapter 4, we, and, and later echoed in chapter 10, we have this beautiful thing that we read often when we do confession. And we read it today. But it bears repeating, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, friends, let us then draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. See, it is by faith that we endure. By faith we can hope. For our Savior endured for us. While others have gone before us, have died, Jesus did not. He is risen and he is at the right hand of the Father. So friends, take heart. Have courage. Do not fear. You'll hear that a lot in the Bible if you start reading it. Do not fear. Have courage. Take heart. 
It's consistent why we need it. <laughs> we need to be reminded that our God is trustworthy and true. That by faith we have an assurance of hope, the endurance to live and love in our days, and the promise that his mercies are new every morning and his promises never fail. So friends, when we feel weary and faint-hearted, look to Jesus, for he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Go and hope in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for who you are, that you are trustworthy and true, that you love us, that you, Spirit, you guide us, know us. But we need your help. We need to be reminded regularly who you are, reminded of your love for us, reminded that you're trustworthy, remind us that by faith we can endure in, our, in this life, that they remind us of the hope that is to come when things seem dark. For you are good, and we need you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.